Wrestling Edition of Under the Floorboards, where we laugh at the creatures that go bump in the night. I'm your host, John, as always, joined by my beautiful co-host, Eric. Eric, how are you this week? Fabulous. And I am so excited to introduce our guest this week. Give it up for Mr. Vincent DePaul. Clap it up. Yeah, with your new movie coming out. Uh, actually, if you're listening to this, it is out. You yeah. should be checking it out on Tubi and Amazon, uh, The Welder. So, uh, Vincent, we have some questions for you, unless you have anything that you'd like to start off with. No, I'm so happy to speak with both of you, and greetings from Hollywood, California. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, I know one of the first questions I had watching this movie, I, I think it'll be a little bit easier if we ask this question first, but what was the genre of The Welder for the project? Uh, so for me, when I was reading the script, I thought it would be the genre, uh, a thriller, a horror, uh, and a conscious film basically bringing awareness and consciousness to to the viewer absolutely very cool so we spoke uh last week with david liz the director for this project how did you and him become acquainted uh certainly david liz talented award-winning director we had first met on a prior film called the soiree uh, which was about uh vampires in miami <laughs> <laughs> which was a blast and um Ernest uh, was the kind of uh, visionary behind that, and he had hired David Liz to direct the soiree. And we first met on that film, and we hit it off amazingly well, Ernie Hernandez. And so from that, he had gone to the Miami International Film Festival. We had uh, reacquainted re, uh, ourselves uh, while watching a movie called Hurricane. And with that, he said, you know, I have this concept. And I was like, sure, I have to go back to L.A. Uh, the day after tomorrow. But please, you know, when you have it done, send it over. He did. And that was The Welder starring Dr. William Godwin. And I read it and I was like, wow, this is powerful. This is compelling. It's it's Frankenstein meets the get out meets, you know, what's happening in the world today. Uh, we're in a pandemic. Uh, we we got it during the pandemic time. And I said, you know, this would be a very important film to execute. And so we did. And that's how it all began. Super sick. So what was there like an instance when you were reading that script where you were like, I need to say yes to the role of Dr. Godwin. Like, I really feel this character. Absolutely. But it was more that I needed to honor the words and I needed to honor the written um, text to really, you know, articulate his struggle. Um, not to give a lot away, but uh, it was an interracial marriage and his wife had died from a hate crime. And that a lot of times we sometimes don't see those stories in films where we show the diversity. And so everything on the written page, on the text, on the script really was something that I thought was very relevant. And so Yes, that was something that when I read it, there was no uh, hesitation. I said, yes, I'm going to do it. And this needs to be told. This story needs to be told to individuals so they could see and go through the the angst, the celebration, the uh, drama of this character, William Godwin. I think David's cinematography definitely pushed that through really oh. well. It was absolutely gorgeous in a, in yeah. a lot of those gripping scenes. Yep. Shot 4K, wonderfully done. He lends the film amazingly. And we had an amazing local crew in South Florida that really kind of, you know, captured that, you know, that 
area in South Florida, outside the Everglades, and, and that's in that part of Florida, which was remarkable. I mean, the house was so eerie. The the uh, outside was so eerie. The horse stables were so eerie. All that stuff was so eerie that when you uh, when you captured it and added the storyline to it, it was really wonderful. And speaking of David, I mean, uh, when we spoke with him, he said that he was very liberal with allowing people to sort of ad lib in moments when it served the scene well. Did you have an example, maybe one you can talk about for Dr. Godwin? Uh, certainly. So a lot of the script with um, Mr. Degadillo and and David was scripted. And then from that, there was some liberties and some freedoms to live in the moment and uh, say a little bit more about you know, what I was feeling at that moment. I think a lot of it occurred during the uh, dinner scene, like mm. when I was <laughs> cutting up, you know, uh, different pieces of litter and serving that. There was some ad-libbing there at the dinner scene to add levity and then to go into it. And then also maybe during uh, the times when I started to starting to weld bodies together, not <laughs> give anything away, but there was some ad-libbing there. And yeah, those were the two examples I can remember. I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm piecing it together in my head and I can kind of see, yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> was there anything uh, that kind of didn't make the cut as far as that's concerned? Uh, like uh, David was talking to us about the miniature horse scene that didn't make it in, uh, oh, yeah. which was a lot of fun. Um, was there anything like that for you two where you're like, I get that it wasn't in, but it was pretty close? Um, yeah, I think that there was some scenes that we thought uh we we get the point we understand what's going on and so we didn't necessarily need it to tell the story it didn't serve the story i'm just trying to remember what it is because uh the, the film uh i thought was so well contained i can't remember at this point actually absolutely and even with the horse scene he was talking about how it was more of a comedic relief for a moment he was like yeah, yeah we just didn't need it but right. it, it was really funny to watch Roe kind of react <laughs> uh to the miniature horse yeah. uh, wh what would you say was probably like for the scenes that you that we can talk about you know especially now that everyone's listening yeah. and should be watching it already absolutely. if you're listening to this what do you think was probably the most taxing scene for you emotionally well, um, a lot of the scenes with my wife uh, finding out when she she's murdered and trying to be organic and live in that moment and doing that over and over again and then lifting her lifeless body up, which was not a, a mannequin, was not a stuffed person, but a human being and lifting her up off the ground uh, and doing that in several takes and then also um arguing with my brother in the movie uh you know god all that stuff it was just very emotional because it was a very physical scene all things for actors in general when when there's a lot of physicality involved it's very taxing because you have to use all of your uh muscles all of your body and also your emotion and so it's two things going on simultaneously right. and that is the most taxing yeah. And we, you kind of touched on it earlier, Vincent, but the movie um, gets a lot of comparison. I mean, I think we were looking at it and immediately thinking things like Night of the Living Dead, Get Out and things of that nature. But it has a clear tone to it. Right. It has a clear it's very on the nose what the message of this movie is. How yeah. do you think that that part of the conversation kind of separates this movie from things that it could easily be compared to? Right. Um, well, I think that 
the well let's go back to the script so originally uh with frankenstein or frankenstein <laughs> um, it talked about society and sometimes you know we were in society we were all on a witch hunt you know let's kill this monster let's kill this frankenstein monster um because they didn't understand him they didn't understand who he was and when he killed that little girl when she had the edelweiss flower in the original frankenstein uh, by uh, Wales, uh, it was a comment to society at that time. For this movie, it is also a comment to society of our time. Uh, can we be more evolved as a culture? Can we accept everyone unconditionally? So I feel like they both uh, speak to the times and speak to the temperature of what's going on in the world now in 2023. That's my take. Definitely agree. <laughs> Absolutely. Definitely agree, yeah. And honestly, like a really good iteration of that really kind of leads into our next question, because I think a lot of that it, that stage is set in this scene specifically. Uh, what our, I know my personal favorite scene in the movie was actually the dinner scene between oh. uh, El- Elisa and Roe and Dr. Godwin. Um, and you touched on it a little bit where you're making the haggis, you know, and chopping up liver in the yeah. kitchen and all that kind of <laughs> stuff, uh, which is a lot of fun. But there's a lot of social commentary there's a lot of character development and inter-character relationships that are happening in that scene can you tell us a little bit about what it was like uh shooting that scene yeah so uh it was very interesting shooting that scene we did create original haggis we found the recipe and uh the folks that we were at the ranch they were able to make the haggis um actually the haggis didn't taste that bad it was actually with the casing and everything it tasted pretty good uh with that scene that really resonated because um there were a few things that we saw an original picture of my mother um in that because i wanted everything on the set to be organic so there was a black and white picture of my mother on set which we cut to in the movie uh which in many of my movies you'll see a portrait of my mother um yeah that's a really cool easter egg Yeah. yeah yeah so you'll see this this kind of amazing uh 1950s black and white image of my mother and then behind me on my left shoulder was a picture black and white sepia tone of david liz's grandfather on the wall so i always like to create my environment where i can see something and have an emotional recall i i miss my mom a lot i lost i lost my mom and so when she's on set in a framed picture i can look at it and all of a sudden it jump starts emotions and and if i had to have something that is a very um you know a very deep scene or something where i have to cry i can just look at the picture and yeah. you know the, they, they say okay uh vince are you ready i'm like yeah roll the camera and then i do that emotional recall and i can perform so i like that and maybe that's that's a, a special gift um to have these things on set because it does help the talent and maybe not every talent knows to do that but i do it just so that we can efficiently work through our day that i can efficiently get the beats and the moment to moment the emotional um uh the emotional ammunition i need to fulfill that role well let's talk about dr goblin a little bit more um what do you what kind of characteristics because this is i i really like i'm going a little bit off the script here but like the man stole the show and you stole the show in this one i mean oh, it's a really believe believable so thing much. you're very was, welcome you're so welcome uh, sincerely 
it was really a great ensemble cast. Um, do you want to read off uh, the four main talent very quickly? And do you have their names, Ro Dunkley and everyone's names? Or I don't have the actors' names now. You pull it up yeah, right now. Pull it up, you pull it up right now, and, and yeah. let's talk about. Let's give them the accolades that sure. they should have. Oh, absolutely. I'll start uh, talking about Ro Dunkley, and then we'll go to the next, and then we'll go to the next. So first of all, Ro Dunkley, what a great energy he gave to this character, and how you know at first he was so um hesitant about like you know um you know what was going on and like okay but i'm hungry i want to do this i want to do that and then he was just going with it and and things were good and uh roe just gave 150 percent and then you know you know having your leg amputated in the movie and like having to <laughs> act that out so roe dunkley was amazing and the next talent we have who played Eliza. You have her name there? Yes, that is uh, Camila Rodriguez. And Camilla Amazing Rodriguez. performance. What a powerhouse. I mean, um, I likened her to Meryl Streep of this kind of uh, portrayal. She was 100% in that character. There was no turning back. She was uh, strong and she was deliberate yeah. and she was just full of emotion. And I remember grabbing her arm in one of the scenes when she, I revealed a picture of my ex-wife, you could just see in her eyes this entire history of who she was and what she was going through, being an interracial marriage with Roe. It was just wonderful. And then the next talent? Mm-hmm. Mr. Chris uh, Mauert himself. Yeah. Uh, incredible performance. He was very much like... I don't like... You know, David keeps referring to him as like the Igor-esque character. Yeah. And he, and he is, but there was just something so much lighter behind that that yes, I really loved to humanity. see. Yeah. yeah. And then there was such honesty and such, you know, loss because uh, in the movie, his sister was my wife and she was killed by a hate crime. And then he became my ward because I wanted to take care of him. And so as a result, he served there on the ranch as a ranch hand and he was my assistant to my uh experiments aka igor igor um from frankenstein and so he played a very important role and how he first you know um had this struggle with his sister early on and when we visit uh the gravesite of her all those scenes were so vivid and so real and i just think that he was remarkable and then the next talent is... That would be yourself, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, myself, but then there was my brother, which he was played oh, okay. by... No, absolutely. They didn't put him on the top four. Oh, okay, yeah. On, on IMDb. Yeah, I think his name... Was um, Anthony Vasquez. Oh, yes, Anthony Vasquez, yeah. Yes. So this guy is like, I'm 6'1", 185 pounds, I bench press 260. This guy was, my brother was like so much huger. He was like 6'2", and he was just like this other huge presence and so fighting with him and just punching him and then you know all that fight it was like i was punching the rock i mean it was like crazy um, but he was great because he was so um amazing as this kind of uh character that 
uh, Dr. Godwin created with, you know, he 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 at first was angry with his brother for killing his wife and he gave him a partial lobotomy and then he started to operate on his face and on his body and cut open his chest. And then I was like, you know, I, I didn't want anyone to recognize my brother because basically he did this to my wife. And so that entire backstory of like, how did how do you um, all of a sudden heal from having the loss of your wife and then taking it out on your brother because you want him to have like a attitude adjustment that 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 in some ways is perverse but in in dr godwin's mind (laughs) it was not he he thought this was the solution Mm -hmm. and that's why i find the script so so deep it's like Mm -hmm. you know each one of these characters thinks wholeheartedly the solution to the problem is this and you're like wow that's a really wild way to interpret. Mm-hmm. And everybody was kind of, I mean, I don't think I, for, okay, let me back up a little bit. One of the things that was so compelling to me about like, not only the talent and what they could bring to the table, but the fact that all these characters were written as three dimensional characters, even if they yes. didn't have moments of like complexity or whatever, you could tell that there was more going on behind the eyes, you know, mm-hmm. um, what are, what do those characteristics look like, especially for Dr. Godwin that make that character so believable? The, the characteristics of Dr. Godwin, what's going on behind his eyes, is all of the all of the past pain he experienced, and that's going around in my mind. And he is always thinking about that. He's having nightmares. It's like a record that keeps on going around and around, and it never that needle never moves to the end. It just keeps on playing. And he he kept on playing in his mind, you know, the death of his wife, the loss of his wife, and so. That's the character actress, but a lot also has to do with the director. David Liz really gave us time with these characters and he really nuanced the performance from being too over the top or being too subtle to actually pitch perfect tone for each one of these characters. And that comes with an amazing um, auteur, someone lensing the film so wonderfully and, and capturing those beats and those moments. Yeah. Uh, do you think part of that, too, is kind of I know one of the parallels that you kind of see between uh, Eliza and Dr. Godwin in the movie is they're both war torn. Uh, yes. So is that something that you kind of, you were talking about? Uh, kind of, it's it's not even necessarily like justification for Dr. Goodwin or Godwin to be able to say, hey, like this is my solution to this problem. But do you think the fact that he was through war was kind of a big proponent of that as well? Yeah, so they were both, let's say, in the battlefield, um, and he was a medical doctor in the war, and so he kind of served and did all of that, and she also was abused in the military, um, and so as a result, both of them were, were dealing with a lot of life issues, and I think that I, it helped propel the story and also allowed the audience to relate to them because there's a lot of, like, um, you know, a lot of post dramatic trauma PSD post well, PSD is more like post is a uh, post stress disorder PSD yeah. there's but it's also has to do with syndromes and and also um, the struggles they're doing so they both had PSD and then all of a sudden you apply the PSD and put them in a ranch in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. and, <laughs> and you see what goes on and you have and what happens to the mind with all that. Yeah. So actually, in that same vein, what kind of characteristics do you think Dr. Godwin has that makes characters like Don possible? Like, I understand that Don has a lot going on from like losing his sister as well. Right. 
But where do you think that kind of leaves that door open for Dr. Godwin to come in and kind of be like, this is what we need to do? Well, I think it made um, Dr. Godwin um, seem like the right answer because Don was vulnerable then because Don did not have an, an outlet of like, what was he going to do? So, you know, Dr. Godwin was like, you know, let me start on you. Let me amputate your arm and put on another arm and see if they cross you know, section tissue matches. And then all of a sudden, you know, in the movie, you see maybe the arm is rotting because it didn't take. And so all of a sudden, you know, uh, Don becomes the experiment for Mm -hmm. Dr. Godwin uh, for the next uh, person. And through it all, you know, Dr. Godwin's like, yes, this is the, this is the solution. This is the solution to, um, to solve racial discrimination. Um, It's fascinating, you know, that, that someone, believed in that so much that to solve racial discrimination is by welding body parts of different colors onto one person so we don't judge them by the color of their skin. Yeah. And so I I thought that, you know, every character written gave us an opportunity to explore those things, if that kind of answers your question. Absolutely. I mean, it was a beautiful patchwork quilt, if you will. Yeah, I know. I know. And, you know, I, I grew up in a funeral home. My my family has a funeral home in Baltimore, Maryland. And uh, I grew up, you know, going into the embalming room and seeing what my dad did with the embalming fluid and suturing up the body and all of that. So I had a kind of an awareness and a cognizance. I went to school at Johns Hopkins, ultimately studying epidemiology, biomedical ethics. But really, my parents wanted me to be a mortuary scientist. I didn't want to be a mortician. I really said, you know, I just want to do movies. I want to be an actor. I don't want to, like, work in the funeral home. And so I chose being an actor. <laughs> but my background is definitely in the medical world. So, uh, yeah, it was fascinating to actually play this character, knowing a little bit about the behind the scenes of the the human anatomy. Yeah. It's like being a real doctor. Right. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I'm curious with a concept as unique as this that also easily like riffs off of classic horror tropes. I mean, what do you think conceptually is something that you could use to convince somebody to go see this movie if they haven't already? Well, The Welder is very original. Um, (laughs) It's a wonderful independent film with an amazing cast and crew. Uh, I I don't like to like persuade people to go to see it. I love when they just stumble upon it. thewelderfilm.com, The Welder on IMDb, Internet Movie Database. Uh, the Welder is just, for me, the first of its kind. It's, it's, a, it's a comment on society. Mm-hmm. And, I've, you know, I've done a lot of films, but this is the first of its kind that it really talks to society and say, hey, we need to be a more evolved people. So if you want to see something that brings awareness. Oh, uh, there we are. Yeah, so sorry. There was a flash flood warning in my oh, yeah. area. And so oh, they man. stopped it because there's a flood happening in L.A. L.A.'s weather has no range. It's either raining for four days straight or super sunny. And there's just no range. It's just it's one or the other. <laughs> <laughs> so they just got past being under like 12 feet of water. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. It's just, it's remarkable, quite honestly. Um, But you were actually talking about uh, kind of moving into what the social comment is that you think the welder's kind of making right now. Yes, it's definitely making a social comment that we should not judge people. We should be acceptive of all people. 
And this is one of those first films that I'm doing that it's it's really like that. I mean, of course, I'm in Secret Society 1 and 2, directed by Jamal Hill, um, co-starring with Erica Pinkett, um, Raina Love, uh, Jeremy Meeks, and Vivica Fox, uh, which wow. is a comment to society, <laughs> uh, Secret Society 1 and 2 on 2B TV. Uh, and so, yeah, yeah, um, I like these kind of films that I'm doing. And recently, I know that they just did a slasher film. One of my producers, Stu Olson, did the slasher film of Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, because wow. they just released uh, <laughs> yeah. that Winnie the Pooh is a um, is a public domain now because the story <laughs> of the Robinsons more than 90 years old. So it's Winnie the Pooh. Blood and Honey, which it's so <laughs> comedic, you'll yeah. you'll laugh and enjoy that thriller. But I don't think that one is a call to action or a narrative to society. So, oh my gosh, so many calls coming through. Okay, it's two twenty. Um, two twenty, my time. Absolutely, we're actually on our last question. Um, okay. I just wanted to know what does the future hold right now for Vincent DePaul? Um, I so many things. um i have a slate of films that i'm doing um i just came back from the berlinale the berlin film festival uh the genius of johnny versace alive uh documentary on johnny versace uh produced with david liz uh my directorial debut that played the berlin uh market the efm and that one will be coming out soon oh gosh i have a christmas movie very different genre called christmas couples retreat uh coming out and if they just look on imdb it tells it tells me what i'm doing next because i see a lot of films i'm attached to and i'm like oh okay i guess i'm doing that film now um so <laughs> that and uh doing a movie with brendan uh moriarty called in the night and with uh, uh with stephen bauer of scarface and ray donovan who'll be my co-star and then yeah and if you want to watch a faith family film called Nothing's Impossible, directed by Matt Shapiro with David Ayer White, uh, God's Not Dead, We the People, and Love on the Rock with John Lovitz, if anyone wants to enjoy that little romp that we shot in Malta uh, during That's the like pandemic. Hardest working man in show business right now. <laughs> Sorry? I said hardest working man in show business right I, now. There are, thank you. I try to do what I can as a producer, <laughs> actor, and I'm so blessed to be in this industry and so thankful. And um, thank you, gentlemen, for liking The Welder. I was very, very wonderful to work with the team in South Florida, and I'm so honored to be part of the film. Absolutely. Yeah. It was an amazing film. You have so much to be proud of, and it was an amazing performance. It wasn't for... hard to like it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So <laughs> if you guys want to see Vincent DePaul in his latest film, now out on Tubi, as it actually dropped today yeah. as we were recording that, it is available on Tubi as well as Amazon. So make sure that you're checking that out. Vincent, one more time, thank you so much for making time for us today. It's been so much fun. Thank you. And And good luck. Thank you. All the best to you, gentlemen. You be well. Absolutely. Take care. Peace. Peace.